you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Amen. What a joyful morning we've had so far and um, with our time of worship and obviously uh, enjoying the testimony of God's grace in Beverly's life. Isn't that wonderful? What a great way to celebrate this Sunday and we really are blessed, Beverly, by your testimony and uh, I know it's not you, it is truly God's grace, but um, it's encouraging for all of us, right, to hear the testimony of what God is doing. Um, How do you um, preach to others about Christian joy when you don't always feel joyful? (laughs) That's the predicament I was in these last few weeks. How do you preach to someone else about joy when you don't always feel joyful? And as I wrestled with the text this, these past couple weeks, especially this past week, I was convicted about one big thing that I want to tell you right at the beginning, and it's this, that my joy as a Christian is not a feeling. It's not a feeling that could be here today, oh, I feel joyful today, and then tomorrow, oh, I don't feel so joyful anymore, as if it's based on a feeling, right, that can change with the wind. That is not the joy of a Christian. In fact, what I've been convicted of, especially through this text, is that the joy of a Christian is founded on truth. It's founded on immutable, unchangeable truth in God's word. So the next time you feel down and you think, oh, I don't feel joyful. How do I, I don't, it's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. It's based on truth. And so this morning, this is what we're going to do, church. We're going to remember some key truths about the joy that we have as Christians. Okay, I hope it will be an encouragement to Beverly as she um, continues her walk, your walk as a Christian, but also all of us as Christ- those who are Christians here. A couple of things I want you to know, that, that Christian joy comes from being known by God. Christian joy comes through sorrow. Christian joy cannot be taken from you. And Christian joy is full lacking nothing. This is the Christian's joy. The joy that is found only in Christ. Only in Christ. And a joy that is available to each and every one of you today. Each and every one of you it's available and I pray that you will experience it. Can we just pray together before we dive in? Father, yes, we struggle to feel joyful. All of us, we've all been there. And yet this morning, your word tells us that joy is not a feeling. It's not. It is based on rock-solid, unchangeable truth. Regardless of the circumstance we are in, 
And so help us this morning, Father, to know the joy of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you can turn in your Bible to John chapter 16. If you need a Bible, there are Bibles in the, in the uh, chair in front of you. Uh, John chapter 16, you're going to need that as we, as we work our way through the text uh, verse by verse. And we're picking things up in John 16, as I said, and um, we're, we've been listening in to a conversation, okay? This is a conversation between Jesus and his disciples, right? And it's happening just hours before his crucifixion. Okay, so are you there now in your mind? Okay, so it's, it's a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. There's just hours left before his crucifixion. And if you've been following along carefully the last few weeks, you know that, that Jesus has been sharing a number of just overwhelming truths to these disciples. Okay, he's been sharing some, some truth bombs, okay? They've just been overwhelmed. And I just want to give you a, a, a bit of the context. Look at chapter 16 for a second, just so you can see all the things that they have been listening to so far, okay? Look at, look at chapter 16. Verse 2, Jesus told them that they're going to be hated and killed. Hated and killed. Verse 5, he tells them that he's leaving them. Jesus tells them, I'm leaving. Verse 6, he tells them, sorrow is going to fill your heart. Sorrow. Verse 7, he says, but somehow, this is all going to be to your advantage. Because I'm going to, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, he says, but, but, but you're going to see Jesus no more, right? He's going to the Father. And then verse 12, what we learned last Sunday Yet, he says, I still have many things to tell you, but you're not quite ready to receive it. Okay? So, so why am I going through all that? Just to let you feel what the disciples would have felt. Okay? Do you see, church, what they were processing while Jesus is speaking to them? Right? Can you imagine trying to piece all these things together? Right? Even for us today, it seems a little bit overwhelming to hear all these things that they've heard. Trying to, 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 to make sense of everything that you've heard in your little mind while your heart is still stuck on the fact that Jesus just said, he's what? He's leaving. He's leaving them. Do you see the mental state of the disciples, the perplexed state of the disciples, and it is on to this background that we come to our text this morning where Jesus is going to drop yet another confusing detail to the mix, okay? Follow along, verse 16. Here's what Jesus says. He gives them the timeline, okay? The timeline for what's about to happen, he gives it to them. Look at this, verse 16, he says, a little while and you will see me no longer and again, a little while, and you'll see me. Okay? Are you following along? So, he says, a little while, and you won't see me. And then again, a little while, and you will see me. And at this point, the disciples just can't hold it in any longer. They have too many questions. And so, what do they do? Look at verse 17. Look what they do. So, some of his disciples say to one another, what is this? 
Now, that's not the way Brother Albert read it, but that's how I'm adding my emphasis. What is this that he says to us? A little while and you won't see me. Again, a little while and you will see me. What is he talking about? And, and because I'm going to the Father, how do we make sense of this? Look at verse 18. So they were saying to each other, what does he mean? What does he mean? By a little while. What does he mean? We, we don't know what he's talking about. We don't know what he's talking about. Well, friends, I don't want us to overlook or to take for granted how confusing all of this would have been for the disciples, okay, on that night. Now, look, you and I today, we have the benefit of what? The complete New Testament. We have that, right? So looking back 2,000 years, looking back in hindsight, this all makes sense. You guys know what he's talking about, right? Does everyone know what he's talking about? So, 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 so the first time he says, a little while and you won't see me, meant what? The hours leading up to his death, his crucifixion. So yes, indeed, in a few hours, they weren't going to see Jesus. And then he says, and again a little while, and then you're going to see me. What does that mean? Well, that's the time between Friday and Sunday when they would see the risen Christ. And the third event is, is his, a few days later, what happened? He ascends to the Father, and then he sends down the Holy Spirit, right? So, so, so death resurrection, ascension, right? Three events. You and I, we get that timeline now because we're, it's in hindsight. Okay, death, resurrection, we know that order. But for the disciples on that night, it was not so clear. It was not so clear. We don't know what he's talking about. That's what they said. And you know, church, as I thought about those disciples on that night and their questions and their questioning, and, and their lack of understanding, right? They, they don't understand what Christ is saying. They don't get the meaning of his words. As I thought about that, I have to be honest, I, I just realized we've all been there, haven't we? Haven't we all been there? No one's nodding their head. Come on. Yeah, of course we have. We're, we're, you, you might even be there right now listening to this sermon, right? What is God talking about through this? Or maybe at home when you're reading the Bible, you've come to a verse and you're like, I don't know what this means. What is God saying? Of course we have. We've all been there. And so it's remarkable, isn't it, that while the author himself was standing right there before them, look at verse 17. Did you notice? The disciples chose to ask their questions to who? To him? To one another. To one another. But this brings us to the first joy-giving truth I want to share with you this morning in verse 19. Look at verse 19. John writes, Jesus knew. Jesus knew. He knew that they wanted to ask him, and so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant? Right? What I meant by what I was saying. 
Jesus knew. Church, the first thing I want you to know about Christian joy is this. The joy of a Christian comes from being known by God. From being known by God. Because do you see that before they could even open their mouths to ask the question, Jesus knew. Church, he knew. This is what we call in theology, there's a word for this, the omniscience of God. What does that mean? It means that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he is all-knowing and he knows about his disciples. God knows his people. Amen? Amen. God knows his people. I don't want you to miss what I'm saying. The disciples didn't have all the answers. Right? You can see that. They're bumbling along. They don't have the answers. They don't know. They're asking each other. They're trying to figure this out. They don't know what he means. But the Christian life, the Christian life is not first about how we know God, but rather about how God knows us. It's about God knowing us. As Paul says in Galatians 4, 9, Galatians 4, 9, it is not that we know God, rather that we are known by God. We are known by God. I love how John MacArthur puts it. He puts it this way. He says, we know God only because he first knew us. Okay? We choose God only because he first chose us. And we love God only because he first loved us. What a source of joy, church. Can you think about that? For the disciples, for those disciples that Jesus knew them, that he knew their, and I'm not talking about their date of birth, right? We're not talking about like a list of facts that you can read up on Wikipedia. This is not their driver's license. He, Jesus knew them personally. He knew them intimately. I want to show you this. Psalm 139. This is how God knows his people. Okay? You want to know how, how well God knows his people? Look at this. God knows. God searches and knows you. He searches and knows you. All that could be known about you, he knows. He knows when you sit down. Verse 2. He knows when you rise up. Okay? God can discern your innermost thoughts from afar. He can discern your thoughts. He, in verse 3, he searches out your paths. He knows you're lying down. He is acquainted with all of your ways. And verse 4, this is, this is the, 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 the amazing part. Even before a word was on your tongue, he knew it. He knew it altogether. Church, what comfort do you think those confused disciples experienced when Jesus revealed to them his omniscience? How comforting would that have been? As they were trying to figure everything out, when he revealed that he knew them, he knew the questions that they were struggling with. If you're a Christian today and you have questions and you have doubts and you have anxieties and you have things, struggles in your mind that you're wrestling with, things that are burdening you, what if I told you Jesus already knows? What if I told you that? That he already knows the secret thoughts that you're dealing with. He knows Better than your father or your mother or your, or your sibling or your spouse or your child. Even better than you know yourself. 
He knows. He knows, church. This is the joy of being a Christian. Not that we have all the answers, because we don't. We don't. But that we rest in the joy of being known by God. Being known by God. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, Christian joy comes from being known by God. Go ahead. Christian joy. Being known by God. Amen. Amen. That's the first, first, first truth about our joy. And with such knowledge, okay, with such knowledge, he's omniscient, right? He knows all things. That means all things past, present, and future, right? He knows all things. And with that knowledge, Jesus, in verse 20, look at verse 20, he's going to now tell the disciples what's about to happen, okay? Verse 20, look at verse 20. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Okay? Okay. Indeed, in just a few short hours, the disciples would weep. Right? You know how the story ends, right? They would weep. They would mourn as they watched the Jews falsely accuse innocent Jesus, condemn him before the Romans did what? Stripped, beat, and nailed him to the cross where he died. Right? They would weep. They would lament the disciples. Because you know why? why? When Jesus died, do you know what else died? All their hope. All their hopes were in Jesus. You realize that. Every, everything they believed was in Jesus. And now when he dies... All of that is gone. All of that is gone. They would be sorrowful. They would be sorrowful. But that's not all. Look at verse 20. There's a disturbing detail. I don't know if you saw it. In verse 20, there's a very disturbing detail Jesus gives them. What do we learn in verse 20? That at the very same time that they would be weeping and mourning, the world would be doing what? Rejoicing rejoicing at the darkest time in human history when the son of God himself his body lay dead on earth the most sorrowful time for Christ's disciples in the in the life of their disciples and the unbelievers of this world were throwing a party they were throwing a Christ is dead. Can you picture this scene? This is what we're learning. I don't think we, we, we talk about those days between Friday and Sunday a whole lot. But John is telling us what was happening between Friday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. There was a party. Chief priests, Roman soldiers, all the crowds. Can you picture them? Celebrating. Rejoicing. Jesus is dead. Like, he's like, like, like the worst criminal has been killed. Jesus is dead. Celebrating their sin. Does it remind you, of, remind you of the world we live in today? Where people are celebrating their sins in the streets? While the disciples of Jesus, what are we doing? Mourning. What are we doing every Thursday? Praying. That people would repent and believe. 
Believer, if you don't know this already, I got to tell you something. This is, the Bible is crystal clear. You will face sorrow in this life. You will face sorrow. You will. And, and I don't want to sugarcoat that because that is the reality of living life in a fallen world. You will face sorrow. And when you do face sorrows, and I'm not saying if you face it, okay? I'm saying when you face it. When you do face those sorrows, everyone is going to come to you with a different solution. Okay? Are you listening? Everyone's going to, and I'm going to tell you something. All those solutions are basically the same thing. Do you know what they're going to tell you to do? Replace your sorrow with something that makes you happy. That's what they're going to do. Replace it. If you're sad, go and eat something you like, right? If you're, if you're down, go and, go, and, go and drown your sorrows in, in a drink. If you're, if you're unhappy, go to the store and buy uh, happiness, Right? Or at least try. Try. This is the world's way of solving sorrow. This is it. This is how they deal with it. Replace, replace, replace. But I want you to realize, church, Jesus does not say your sorrows will be replaced with joy. What does he say? Your sorrow will turn into joy. It'll turn into joy. This is the second truth I want you to know about the joy of a Christian. Joy, the Christian joy does not replace your sorrows. It comes through sorrow. It comes through sorrow. And I want to explain this to you because it's very important to understand. You see, friends, the cross, the sorrow of Good Friday when Jesus died, all the sorrow of that, of that event was not replaced by joy of the resurrection. As if we cancel the cross and say, okay, now we have the joy, so we don't need the cross. No, no, actually, the cross was necessary for the joy. You, you get that, right? Like, like without Jesus dying on that old rugged cross for our sin, there is no joy in the resurrection. You understand that? There is no hope of, 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 of forgiveness of sin. There is no restored relationship with the holy God. There is no eternal life of joy with him. Nothing. Nothing. So do you see the sorrow of the cross? I want to point to, there's a cross here. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. Above the pulpit, above the baptismal, there's a cross. This cross, which was a symbol of sorrow, right? A symbol of sorrow on Friday, we didn't get rid of the symbol. What happened? This same symbol on Sunday turned into our symbol of joy. That's why we still have it here. We haven't replaced it with some picture of a resurrection. This is still the symbol of joy because that's the foundation of our joy. That's the foundation. God, God doesn't replace the bad things in your life with good things. No, he works all those bad things for good. That's what he does. That's what he does. And to illustrate this, to illustrate that for a Christian, sorrow is a necessary part of your life, of your joy, he uses a metaphor in verse 21 that every mother since Eve herself can relate to, okay? The metaphor of childbirth. Are you ready? Look at verse 21. I feel very inadequate to speak about this, but I'm going to have to because it's in the text, okay? Here it is, verse 21. 
When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. Now, moms, you know this. You don't need me to tell you this, right? Ever since Genesis 3.16, the curse, the pain of contractions in labor increases in frequency, increases in intensity as you get closer and closer to the birth, right? You guys know this. I don't even need to, I don't even want to look you in the eye actually right now as I'm saying this because I have no right to tell you what you've experienced. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. Now, before you all get really outraged at me, okay, moms in the room, because I'm sure you remember, you remember some of your pain <laughs> that you experienced. Um, Jesus is not saying that you will forget the pain. What does he say? He says, you no longer remember the anguish. What does that mean? It means it fades from your memory. It fades from your heart and from your mind. Why? Because as we, me and my wife, look back on July 11th, 2019, we, don't, we no longer think of it as a day of sorrow. What do we think of it? It's turned into a, a day of joy. The day our son was born. Because the joy that a human being, verse 21, has been born into the world. The same event turned from sorrow to joy. Now, I know um, Jesus is sharing an analogy here, okay? So I can't stretch this analogy out of its context, but I need to say something, okay, if you'll let me, um, about childbearing for a moment, okay? Even if you don't let me, I have to say it. Um, you know, sadly, in our day today, many people do not see children the way Jesus sees children in this passage. Many people do not. Many people see children not as a joy, but do you know what they see them as? The opposite, a killjoy. Kill, what, what do they tell you? Uh, um, uh, uh, enjoy your life before you have kids. Right? Isn't that what they say? Enjoy your life before you have kids, as if kids are, 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 are the world's worst robbers of joy. <laughs> right? It's not true, dear friends. It's just not true. And that's the first thing I need to tell you from this passage. But the second thing is this. You know, I recently, I decided to um, write to my MP in Burlington um, about the way that we see children in our society as Canadians, okay? Especially the unborn, okay? Did you know that Canada has become a place where 100,000 children are murdered in the womb every year? A hundred, do you know what that means? I did the math. That means every six seconds, a child is murdered in the womb in this country. In this country. We have come to a point where we are killing more lives than some of the greatest atrocities in world history. Okay, just, 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 just take this in. You know you read your history books about all those bad guys in the past and you judge them with your arrogance and, and we look at them with disgust. We are killing more people today than some of the greatest atrocities in world history. And I want to say this with love, and I want to say this with, 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 with all the sensitivity, because I know this is not an easy thing to hear, but I need to say it. 
How did some of the great dictators of the past, how did they kill people? How did Hitler kill the Jews? Was it not first by dehumanizing them? Wasn't it first by dehumanizing them the very same way we have dehumanized the unborn? Isn't that how you just, how do you justify killing another person? How do you do it? Well, you, you say it's not a person. They treated them as subhuman. This is not killing someone. This is just tissue. It's just tissue. But what does Jesus say in verse 21? He says that the unborn are human beings. I never thought we'd have to explain this to someone. But here we are. The unborn are human beings that are born into the world. They're human beings. If you're passionate about this, and I know many of you are, I want to tell you, we as a church, we want to do more about this. There are some great organizations that are doing some amazing work with women with unexpected pregnancies, um, with, uh, with, with women who, to support them, to parent, to support them, whatever they need, to, to even to give up for adoption, and also to support those who have had an abortion because people have done it. People have done it. And, and they need counseling and they need support now. They need the love of Christ. They need a, a church family to wrap around them. And so there's some great work being done. And so if that's something that, that burdens you, please come and let one of the elders know so we can, we can see how we can do more as a church towards this end. But all of this is to say, you are, those of you who are called to the creation mandate, okay, of course, those of you who are married, it is good. It is good to be fruitful and multiply. It is good. But I digress, okay? That's enough. I put everyone on the hot seat. Now let's move on. Jesus has made his point. The second truth about Christian joy, if you can turn to one another and say, Christian joy comes through sorrow. Christian joy comes through sorrow. Amen. Verse 22, Jesus continues. So also, look at verse 22. Just like the woman giving birth in verse 21, look at verse 22. He says, so also... You disciples, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Remember, this is the night before the crucifixion, right? He's going to see them on Sunday. He says, I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And look at this. And no one will take your joy from you. No one will. The sight of Jesus in just, on the third day, the sight of the risen Jesus that Easter morning would turn the disciples' sorrow. All their sorrow would be turned into joy. And not just any joy. It says a joy that no one can take from you. This is the third truth I want to give you this morning about the joy of a Christian. Okay? Christian joy in verse 21 is joy that cannot be taken from you. It cannot be taken from you. As John Piper would say, he calls it indestructible. I love that. It's really what it is. It's indestructible joy. Why do we say that? Because when, when Sunday came along and they saw Jesus, folks, if Jesus is alive, everything was true. 
that miracle validates everything he said, everything he did, everything he promised. It's all true. And so church, when you remember this, when you remember that, that Jesus is alive, can, can everyone say that with me? Jesus is alive. If you remember that he's alive, that he really rose from the dead, if you remember that one day you are going to see him when he returns or when he calls you home, when you remember that, the joy that you feel in your heart, no one can take from you. No one. It's indestructible. This is not temporary high. You know the temporary happiness that you get when you buy something from the store, the latest whatever, right? When you buy that thing that you feel happy for like two seconds in the next year, it's going to show up in our yard sale, right? The, the, the PS4 or 2 or whatever it ended up being, right? Right? This is not like that. This is not based on the foundation of a weaky, shaky foundation, right? Like your health. Your health could be taken from you today. Your wealth could be robbed from your house right now as you're sitting here. Uh oh. Right? That's not, this joy is not based on that foundation. This is not a feeling. I come back to that point. This is not a feeling I'm telling you about that, that, that you could have today. Oh, I feel kind of joyful today. And then tomorrow, oh, I don't really feel that joyful. It's all based on circumstance. No, no, no. No, the world may take everything from you. Let me say it again. The world may take everything else from you, but no one can take the joy of a Christian. No one can take the joy of a Christian. And I want to apply it to you today because some of you here today, you're carrying sorrows. You're carrying sorrows, many and bitter. The indestructible joy of a Christian means that you can sing. Psalm 30, verses 4 to 5. Sing praises to the Lord, O you saints. Give thanks. The next verse, verse 5. His anger is for a moment. His grace is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It's indestructible. It's indestructible. Oh, I have to share this. I, sh I saw this yesterday. We were at a, at a, at a funeral, you all know. Um, a close family member passed away. And as they were, as the burial was happening, the family, many members were just crying. I mean, as you can expect, they were wailing, they were crying in, in sadness, in grief. And I noticed one particular sister took out this hymn sheet and she started singing. And I went to her afterwards and I said, how did you do that? This is how. The indestructible joy of a Christian is how you sing in the midst of your sorrows. You sing. Some of you here today, you're facing trouble in life, right? Troubles. Trouble of life. Do you know what the indestructible joy means? It means that just as Jesus endured the cross, why did he do it? Hebrews 12, 2, it was read earlier by Pastor Dale. He endured the cross for the joy set before him. Just like that, you too can endure. You can endure because of the joy that you have. Some of you here are suffering with poor health. Your body is declining. Your health is deteriorating. The indestructible joy of a Christian means what? Um, do not lose heart. 2 Corinthians 
4, verse 16 and 17. Though your outer self is wasting away, that's what's happening. Hate to break it to you. Your inner self is being renewed. Isn't that precious, church? Your inner self is being... This light, momentary affliction, verse 17, is preparing for us, guess what? An eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. You can't compare it to anything what awaits you. This is indestructible joy. If you can turn to a neighbor and say, Christian joy cannot be taken from you. Christian joy cannot be taken from you. The fourth and final truth as we, as we bring this to a close, the fourth truth for this morning is this. Um, Christian joy is full. It's full. Lacking nothing. Look at verses 23 and 24, okay, as we close. 23 and 24. In that day, Jesus says, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, I say to you, whatever you ask my father, in, of, my, of my Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. So, to understand this last bit, you need to understand there are at least two ways of using the word ask. Okay? You know the word ask? A-S-K. Okay? Ask. The first way is to ask a question. I don't know something. I'm asking you. Can you please tell me the answer? That's the first way of asking. Right? So what Jesus says is, in that day, you will, he says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. What does that mean? In that day, after the resurrection, after the Spirit came down and gave them enlightenment, they didn't have any more questions to ask, right? They had the answers. Why? Because after Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit, the Spirit guided them into the truth. Can we look at verse 13 for a second? That, that was last Sunday you preached on verse 13. When the Spirit comes, what is He going to do? Guide you into all the truth. That's why when they wrote down the New Testament, we believe it is absolutely true. It wasn't these bumbling disciples that wrote this, right? It was the Spirit who was the author of these, of these words, right? Those guys were asking. They, they couldn't even find answers when Jesus was on earth. They didn't even ask Him the right answer. They, they were struggling. But when the Spirit came, they had the truth. They had the truth. And so the first encouragement to you is this. If you have questions today, you're a Christian, you have uncertainties, you have doubts, your joy can still be full. And you may ask me, how can, how can my joy be full if I don't even understand all of this? And the answer is, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You have a guide that will take you into all truth. Even if you don't know all the answers today, if you're a believer, you have him, the Holy Spirit, to help you. What a comfort, right? What a comfort. That's the first thing. But the second way you can ask something, instead of asking a question like knowledge-based, I don't know something, tell me the answer. The second way to ask is to ask for something, right? Like a request. This is not an inquiry. This is a request, okay? And that's what Jesus tells us that we must do. In the second part of this verse, he says, um, ask in my name. Ask of the Father according to my name, my nature, my will. Whatever you ask for, if it's according to God's will, guess what? He promises he will provide. 
He will provide. Church, this is an incredible promise. I don't think we all understand this. If you are, 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 are struggling in sin and you have a habitual sin, you're trying to break it, have you come to God and asked? Ask Him for forgiveness. Ask Him for the grace to walk right, uprightly, a life worthy of the gospel. Just ask. If you're looking at everyone else and you're discontent, have you been there? Have you ever been to Facebook? Right? All those edited, photoshopped pictures, and I'm looking at myself, and I'm thinking, how do they look this way? We were in the same class, we're all the same age, and... <laughs> right? Jokes aside, if you, are <laughs> if you are looking at everyone else, and you feel discontent, have you been there? You feel unhappy, why is my life like this? What, what is my stock in life? Here's what Jesus is saying, pray! Talk to me, not so that he can give you what they have. No, no, no. So he, you can realize that you already have everything you need. You already have it. What a lie of the devil to try to convince you that you need something that you don't need. Isn't that a great lie? Of course it is. What a scheme. You already have what you need. You have the Holy Spirit. And everything you need to glorify God, he promises he will give you. Ask. Ask, do you know, church, this is the third time in the same conversation that Jesus has told them to ask, to pray. Third time. Same conversation. Chapter 14, verse 13. Chapter 15, verse 16. And now chapter 16, verse 24. Three times. Do you think he's trying to tell us something? Do you think he's trying to tell us something? Pray. Pray. And your joy will be full. Do you know what it means to be full? When a glass is full, there is no room for anything else. Right? You can't even put one more drop in there. It'll overflow. Right? If a glass is full, there's no room. If your joy is full, there's no room for lack. There's no room for anything you may be in want of. Turn to your neighbor and say, Christian joy, the joy of a Christian is full. Wanting of nothing. It's full. Amen. As we conclude, as we conclude, I hope you know, beloved, the joy of a Christian is not a feeling. So the next time you feel sad or you feel down, I want you to remember this. My joy is not based on a feeling. It's based on truth. Immutable, unchangeable truth. That's the foundation for your joy. It comes first, not by you knowing God, but by God knowing you. It does not replace the sorrows in your life. That's not what joy does, like the world tries to do, right? To replace your sorrows. It comes through your sorrow. It comes through sorrow as a mother bearing her child. It cannot be taken from you. The joy of a Christian cannot be taken from you. It's indestructible, and it is full. It's full. It's wanting of nothing. You know, throughout this message, I asked you to turn to each other and to say these things, right? To, to share these truths. And I hope that if you're a Christian today, that when, as you remembered these truths, you were encouraged by the joy that you have. You have this already, church. Smile. Right? 
you have this already. This is already describing who you are in Christ. But to some of you here this morning, I know, and those watching online, um, I have to tell you this, Christian joy is only available to Christians. Right? It's only available to Christians. And as you've heard about the joy that I'm talking about here, okay, I'm giving you a pitch here. I'm telling you about this joy, this indestructible, incredible joy. As you compare what I'm talking about today with your life, when you go home today, go back to your house and pick up the phone or do whatever you do, watch Netflix for eight hours, whatever you're going to do at home, and you compare that joy, that unfulfilling, unsatisfying joy to what we've described today, I hope you see how infinitely better Christ is to everything else. I hope you see that. I wanted you to feel this. I want you to feel the inadequacy of your joys, your temporary fleeting joys, compared to the incredible joy that is found in Christ. And if you're asking me now, how much does it cost to come and buy this? Like, okay, okay, this is great. This is a great joy. How much do I have to give you to get this joy? The answer is, His grace is free. It's free. It's free to any one of you here. Any one of you here. I don't care who you are. Who will repent of your sin and believe in Jesus. The grace of God is freely offered to you. It's free. But I got to tell you one thing. It's free. But it will cost you your life. Okay? And that's not a catch. That's the truth. It's free grace, freely offered to you, but it will cost you your life. What do I mean? Because once you have tasted this joy, as Beverly has and as many of us here have, once you've tasted that joy, your whole life changes. Your whole life will change. Because the eternal, indestructible joy of Christ is worth everything. It's worth it all. Um, Would you rise with me as we pray? And uh, worship team, if you can come. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for these precious truths that you gave to your disciples on the night before You died on that cross the night you were betrayed. Lord, they may not have understood the weight of those words at that time, but soon they did, and their sorrow turned into joy because of the resurrection, your resurrection. And Lord, for those of us here today, help us, O Lord, those who are Christians, to know that Yes, we may feel down, we may, ha- we may face sorrows, we may have all kinds of things thrown at us in this life, but the joy that you've given us, Lord, it, is, it, it cannot be taken from us. It is ours. It's ours. And it will take us to eternity, that joy. It will help us to endure. It will get us through. Thank you, God, for that joy. And Lord, for those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would feel the disconnect that they would feel unsettled by how much time they have spent on lesser joys in this world, if we can call them that. Lord, cheap thrills, 
cheap, temporary happiness that comes from this world. Help them, O oh God, to feel the waste of that and drive them to turn to you, knowing just the, just the, the power of this joy to be known by you, O oh God. What is there? What, what is greater in the universe than to be known by you, the creator of all? So, Lord, we bring ourselves to you this morning and we ask that you would fill us with joy. Fill us with joy. Not to replace our sorrows, but to turn them into joy as we remember Christ, the risen Jesus Christ. Thank you. We love you. And we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.